0: Welcome to Flora and Friends, your botanical cup of tea, a podcast for plant lovers of any kind. We welcome guests to our botanical tea break to explore the history, science, and meaning of plants for our lives. My name is Judith Lundbey-Felten. I'm a plant scientist, university researcher, and founder of Flora L Design, and I'm the hostess of your botanical cup of tea. Hello to all friends of the Flora and Pe- Friends podcast. I am delighted to have you join for our second episode with fungal photographer, Stephen Axford and his partner and documentary filmmaker, Catherine Masiniak. If you haven't listened to the first episode, which we released two weeks ago, I invite you to go there and to hear a little bit more about the story of how and why they got into fungal photography and filmmaking. Today we spent uh, some time on the interview discussing about their traveling, their encounter of different cultures and of different people around the world that have a passion or a different relationship with fungi. So I hope you will enjoy this episode and with this I say welcome again to Stephen and Catherine. You mentioned also that you have been to different places and I have found on your website mushroom pictures from from Australia, of course, your home country, but also from Chile, China, India, Nepal, Myanmar, Thailand and New Zealand. So what brought you there?
1: Well, some of them were just holidays. So, New Zealand's quite close to Australia, so that would have just been a yeah, I went over there and was photographing fungi because there's lots of fungi there. But some years ago now, it's in 2014. It's the first time that um, Professor Peter Mortimer, who is actually South African, but who is a professor at Kunming Institute of Botany in Yunnan in China, so he he sent me an email prompted by his father who'd seen my photographs and his father suggested to him that he invite me out to help document their fungi field trips. So I got this email from China inviting me out there thinking, oh, oh, (coughs) I'd never had anything like that before. So anyway, bit the bullet, jumped on an aeroplane, arrived in Kunming and, uh, since then, we've been out there four times, I think. So we've been to Yunnan in China on four separate occasions. That also led to being invited to northeast India twice and once to Nepal. And we went to Myanmar and Thailand with... um with the people from Kunming Institute of Botany?
2: They, they are involved in a group called Mountain Futures, which work in the Eastern Himalayas on conserving forests, but also uh, looking at sustainable uses of um, fungi in those forests. So they're a really interesting group and it has led to um, us documenting for um, fungi in very, very remote forests in that region, which has been fantastic.
0: That must be quite an adventure to, to be there. Do you have a story to share from one of these trips?
1: <laughs> the, the, probably the person who made the most impact on us was uh, a woman by the name of, well, it's not really her name. We were introduced to her as Kong, which means sister in Kazi. And this was in Meghalaya in um, northeastern India, just directly above Bangladesh. So you've got the flatlands of Bangladesh and then Meghalaya, and uh, Meghalaya the mountains there are about... Oh two, three thousand metres high. So not insignificant mountains, but nothing the foothills of the Himalayas really. But the monsoon comes in across Bangladesh, hits these mountains, and drops an incredible amount of rain. So there's lots of lots of fungi there. And we met Kong who was one of the uh, local people that was teed up to show us what their local fungi were like. And she she was terrific. That She took us out there and she'd be pointing out, we'd ask her through by way of an interpreter what this fungi was, what this mushroom was, whether it was poisonous or not. And there was one yellow mushroom there and we asked her if it was poisonous or not. And she said, yes, it was poisonous. And we asked her, how did she know? And she said she knew because she ate it (laughs) (laughs) and then described how she was sweating. And, you know, she speaks no English at all. And yet I had no problem at all understanding exactly what she meant from her body language and the description and we we put her in, we've got her in the film um, Planet Fungi, Northeast India, and we we made this film, and then we went back to Megalia the next year, and we showed her the footage, and she was absolutely over the moon. It was you know we had all of her family gathered around watching this, and she was just it was, it was one of the the highlights of any trip.
2: And, in fact, since then, she's become quite a hero in Megalia. You know, that she's been given awards. I mean, this is a woman who, um, in the story we tell, shows how she was a single mum and one of the reasons that she experimented a lot with fungi in the forest was the only way she could feed her kids was to feed them from the forest. So she took a lot of risks, but now she's... Being celebrated as this woman who can teach people in her own um, state of India about fungi, but also, you know, uh, perhaps start up an ecotourism. (laughs) And so she's become quite a celebrity. And it's really, you know, it makes us feel good that we've had made such a difference in her life.
0: Mm, Wonderful. And that must have been a real interesting encounter and very. Uh, culturally very interesting as well and then you share this passion for fungi with a person from a completely different culture and who has d- discovered fungi in a completely different way as well to herself
2: yeah and and also she's just such a character she's so funny she was a wonderful person to be around
0: mm. So you mentioned the film that you uh, have uh, released and that's available actually for people to watch. And you have also had contributions to um, the BBC's Planet Earth movie. So I wonder how this has all happened. And uh, yeah, who are the people watching your movies and how did how did this happen that you uh, made a contribution to the BBC film, but also then you have made your own movie now?
1: Well, the B- BBC film was uh, initially they sent me an email because I, because of my fungi photographs, I'd put a lot of photographs on the internet, some of which were luminous fungi. Now they were looking for someone who knew where to find luminous fungi, so they sent me an email basically asking me where could, where you could find it and everything. And I thought, oh, I don't know whether I wanted, you know. Tell other people where you find it, and then they come and photograph it or film it, and they get all. Uh, they make the profit out of it. So I didn't even reply to the email for six months, I don't think. And then um, I decided I would reply, and I, I'd taken some time lapse at this stage, so I replied and said, "Well, yeah, I can tell you about the luminous fungi, and are you interested in?" This time lapse. And they weren't particularly well constructed time lapse. Like, uh, you know, I hadn't learned, there's a lot of things you need to learn about time lapse to make it work properly. But they saw the time lapse and instantly sent a, an assistant producer out to have a look at where, what, what we were doing. And she went back to England and they provided a bit more equipment for me and basically said they'd buy the time-lapse. So they, I did the luminous fungi and I did um, oh, some stinkhorns and...
2: Some of our local fungi.
1: Yeah, so some of the really spectacular local fungi, and I think I ended up with a minute and a quarter on planet Earth too. And a minute and a quarter is actually quite a long time.
2: Mm-hmm. And I cried when I heard David Ingram's voice behind these time lapses. That some of them were done in our shower recess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, this is uh...
1: so that was the start of it. And when you've been when you start off with your time lapse on Planet Earth too, you you really can't have a better platform. Mm. So there, it's gone on from there, and there's been a oh eight or ten television documentaries, I think.
2: Including Fantastic Fungi, which is screening on Netflix now.
1: Yeah, and uh, an IMAX.
2: Yeah, we're we're collaborating on an IMAX film at the moment, um, which is due for release early next year called Magical Forest, The Secret World of Fungi, which showcases Steve's time-lapses I co-wrote. And, um, and and also stars Merlin Sheldrake, who some people who are into fungi might know for his recent book, um, Entangled Life.
0: Mm-hmm. We have that on our reading list. I'm part of a book club with some other plant biologists and we read books and then we record a podcast on the books. So that is our next one. <laughs> We're going to to get more deeper into the the books about fungi now because it has become actually pretty much of a hype with the fungi. I noticed that myself. There's many many documentaries, many books, uh, a lot of fascination around fungi, and because they are they are different as compared to plants, they are somewhere in the dark as well in the forest often. So it's a little bit magical.
1: Well, I can, with the first time lapse that I did on Planet Earth 2, basically it was pretty pictures with a little bit of commentary around it, but essentially just, you know, great pictures. Now the fungi films tend to be looking more at what fungi is, that people want things showing mycelium growing, not just the fruiting bodies, the mushrooms. So everything's getting a little bit more in depth now. People are starting to understand a bit more about fungus.
2: Mm -hmm. I think there's been a really big interest too because, you know, cultivation of your own mushrooms has become quite an industry, even in Australia where we're quite, Um, what we call uh, mycophobic, you know, there's the amount of mushroom species that we eat here is pretty small. And, but, but, you know, the cultivators have created an industry around people buying and growing their own. So that's created a big interest. Of course, you know, there's a big interest in psilocybin mushrooms as well. Um, But I do think also people are starting to get that this is a, a new frontier of scientific discovery. The people that we go out into the field with in Yunnan, they go out into the field all the time during mushroom season. They have PhD students out there, researchers out there, professors out there, and even still going back to places they've been to many, many times before, one in seven species that they find is new to science. So, it really is a very big area of scientific discovery. And I think that, you know, that ignites people's imaginations.
0: You mentioned that uh, from the first movies where it was more pretty pictures to now it's getting maybe going a bit deeper and also talking about mycelium. Do you have an impression that there's more science included in the documentary? movies now as well, or is it still mostly um, documentation of what there is, but also a bit more of why it is there and what it does?
1: There's more science now. that There's been several films come out which are targeted at uh, mushrooms, so it's not just... Oh, this is also in the forest, isn't it pretty? Which, essentially, what was what Planet Earth Two was was saying. It was. It's more than that, but it, the amount spent, uh, the amount of time spent on fungus was little more than just the, the talking around the minute and a quarter of um, those time-lapse.
2: It was about luminous fungus. It was about luminous fungus and the role that luminous fungus might have in, in the ecosystem in terms of the animals and insects there. So it was very specific to one type of fungus, whereas now we're finding that people are actually interested in fungi as a, as an organism within the forest ecosystem
0: Yeah, and the
1: way it combines with other things, the symbiosis, that it's starting to be recognized that if you're interested in symbiosis, inevitably you fall across fungus at some stage because they're involved in so many symbiotic relationships. Mm.
0: And I think even uh, there's a very known researcher Susan Susan Simard, and she had been featured in the New York Times as well with a large article about how forests uh, are connected by mycelia underground. So even in in written format, there has been more attention been paid to interactions of plants with fungi and the importance for the ecosystem. So it's great that that is also visible in the movies. And we are are using that form of of art to spread more knowledge about what there is out in nature. So you're making a a very important contribution to, to education of people as well. Yes. Do you have a favorite fungus that you like to eat? Now that you said you come from Australia, that is rather mycophobic when it comes to eating fungi.
1: (laughs) Well, we we actually had a lot of fungi to eat in um, Yunnan in China. And probably one of our favourites is uh, Tametomises, which you don't get in Australia, which grows a, a symbiotic relationship with termites. So the termites take the chewed-up leaves and bits of bits of rotting wood or whatever underground to their nest. They can't digest fungus. They can't digest the leaves. I mean, they can't digest the cellulose. So they grow fungus underground, and then they eat part of the fungus and let the rest of the fungus develop. And when the nest dies, when the the termites die off, then the fungus will fruit and it pushes up from maybe a metre or so underground, this very hard-pointed cap, and breaks out into the surface and the fungus is beautiful to eat. So we've had had some of that and... That's very nice. There's so many. They eat 900 different species of fungus in Yunnan, and some of them are are hugely expensive, and we've had some very nice ones, (laughs) some of which I couldn't name for you, I'm afraid. (laughs)
0: I think that really is much more than we eat here in Sweden. There's lots of people being enthusiastic about picking mushrooms, but I think the most common are probably five species that are picked by most people because they are safe and easy to distinguish.
1: Yeah, I believe uh, someone told me, uh, a Norwegian, that there was a, a fungus that looked like an edible one that they were getting a lot of poisonings from in Norway now. I think it, the, perhaps because of climate change, the climate is a little bit different now, so this new mushroom is growing, and it's quite poisonous. Mm. so it's always wise not to eat mushrooms you're not entirely familiar with
0: yeah, exactly
2: and certainly certainly, a lot of our work in Asia is about helping people identify poisonous and um, edible mushrooms. So field guides have been made from Steve's photographs and um, from the videos that we do there. And when we were in Myanmar, one of the reasons, even though we were only there for two weeks, one of the main reasons they wanted us to go there was that there was an Amanita that people were eating that was killing people that was very similar looking to an Amanita that might be regarded as edible. Mind you, Steve and I have a bit of a policy about not eating Amanitas of any kind. But, um, but yeah, so, and we did find this Amanita and it was a new species, but it was killing people. So, yeah,
0: people do
2: need to be very careful.
0: Mm -hmm. And then it's especially important to document it so that people can distinguish it from others, having having a book that tells one that this, this is what you can eat, but it resembles this other one. So then you know exactly what kind of signs or anatomical features to look out for to distinguish a poisonous one from an edible one. So, but that also asks for good enough pictures. Yeah. So, um, I had w- one question, maybe I can go back to that, as you have documented mushrooms in so many different places in the world in Asia and in Australia. Have you noticed any fundamental difference? I think compared to Sweden, probably there's many more species, and you have all these luminous fungi in Australia as well and uh, but what is your impression when it comes to like major differences between? Um, these two continents?
1: Um, it's hard to really describe the differences. There's, the fungus here and the fungus in South America seem to have similarities, like in Chile and Australia and New Zealand. The Southern Hemisphere continents, I, I guess, more you know, more closely related to Gondwana land. The northern hemisphere fungus is a little different, but then there, there's crossover because there, there's strange crossovers. There's fungus that is common to Japan, New Zealand, Australia, And there's fungus that's common to Australia and South America. So I don't know that I can put my finger on it. There are differences. The species you see in Australia tend to be a little different from the species you see in Asia and South America and certainly Sweden, though we haven't been fungi hunting in Sweden. Yet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, there is differences, and there are certainly differences the way people treat fungus, and there are differences. Tropical fungus is different from temperate fungus. But trying to put your finger on what the actual difference is between, say, Australia and the Him- the eastern Himalayas It's not all that easy.
2: So an example of that would be you'd say, okay, well, where we do document fungi in Asia, many of those areas are tropical. So you'd think, okay, or subtropical. So maybe there'd be similarities to our subtropics but where we are, we, we have mostly above ground, we have mostly saccharobes fruiting. We don't have, tend to have that many um, ectomycorrhizal fungi in our rainforests. That is, you know, the fungus that lives in um, mutualistic relationship with the roots of trees. But where we go to in Asia in the subtropics, there's lots of ectomycorrhizal fungi, so so there, that similarity doesn't exist. We see more similarity potentially between Tasmania and Chile and New Zealand, where you've got the Nothophagus forests. Um, but then, of course, that will be, and they have an, an autumn fungi season, similar to the Northern Hemisphere, where you are. But the fungus between there and where you are is very different. <laughs> mm. So I don't know. I, th- I think it's, it's very hard to come up with generalizations for fungi because we know so little about it
0: still. Mm. Do you have plans to coming to Europe and documenting some fungi here?
1: <laughs> We'd love to. Um, but there's a lot of... We, we've got an invitation to Sri Lanka another one to China, Mexico. Mexico, and potentially India and Nepal again. So, yeah, it's, it's the art of the possible in the end.
2: We feel like we need another lifetime <laughs> 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 to fit everything in.
1: We have yes. a film
2: half shot in the you know, so we must go back there and finish our Planet Fungi Yunnan because that's going to be amazing. Much um, more science. Planet Fungi in Northeast India is very what we call ethnomycology, where we um, are with villages a lot and learning a lot about the fungi in those forests from them and and also what we observe. But the Planet Fungi Yunnan is much more s- based in the science. Um, the scientists that we work with there. So really interesting new science about fungi will be revealed in that documentary but then we also have this idea about doing a planet fungi the grand tour you know how in the 1900s you know people used to do the grand tour well we would like to do the grand fungi tour of Europe (laughs) and meet up with all these fascinating people that we network with on Instagram and on YouTube and on our Facebook page you know we talk to people all over the world every day Mm -hmm. and yeah we definitely like to meet up with some of those people, so it def- it is part of our plan. I just hope
0: we don't run out of time. <laughs> yeah, I I think there uh, it's like fungi; they don't just connect trees in the forest, they also connect people around the globe, <laughs> and that that would be really, um, I think, amazing if you if you could have uh, like connecting the different parts of the world and the different fungi in the different parts of the world and what we know about them to, to give uh, like a global view of fungal diversity. And I'm, I'm so fascinated by evolution. Like how did this all happen? Why did this become like this? (laughs) So yeah. Amazing things to come from you of all these different fungi that you have photographed. Do you have a favorite one?
1: Well, I do have a favourite, but if you ask me next week, it'll be another one, so it keeps changing. The, the fun is that I'm photographing at the moment might be my favourite. So I, I don't know. Uh,
2: What's the favourite at the moment?
1: Um, at the moment, I probably don't have one. But overall I, I I guess if I had a favorite, it's there's a local mushroom which is really quite rare, which is a brilliant sky blue. So it and blue's an unusual colour for a fungus. It's
2: quite an unusual fungus.
1: Yeah, it's a a truffle-like fungus, so it it tends to be round, doesn't open up completely, opens up partially, but it's uh, actually a coprinus, so it's a coprinopsis atroverens.
2: And Steve discovered it here. It's (laughs) It's never been seen here before. It's only ever been seen on Lord Howe Island and New Caledonia.
1: And it's actually green in you, where it was discovered. So there's this green fungus and we've got a blue version of that, which I think is actually nicer than the green version. But the same species.
2: The mycologist that we work with in Victoria says it's the most beautiful mushroom in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my favourite is another blue mushroom, actually, which is uh, a Tasmanian species called Mycena interrupta which has only recently been discovered to... It's only just recently been DNA tested, even though it's one of the oldest mushrooms in the Q collection. So it was collected in the 1800s for Q, but never DNA tested. And there's a very similar-looking mushroom in New Zealand and also in Chile. Chile. And they've just test DNA tested Mycena interrupter from specimens that I took, actually, Um, and found that it's the same as um, the South American and New Zealand mushrooms. So there might be a little bit of renaming happening in the future when that paper comes out. Mm
0: -hmm. Great.
1: Yeah, it used to be the case that you used to be able to rely on the um, scientific names to never change, and the common names were, you know, they'd be all over the place. But now the scientific names seem to change almost as often as the common names do. <laughs> mm-hmm. And
0: that,
2: of DNA testing.
1: Yeah, people test the DNA and they find that something they've been calling one name is really another name entirely.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then they get renamed <laughs> and then it's really difficult to find it, even by Googling it, because things had a different name before. So uh, I think there is maybe also some work to be done to make it searchable more easily.
1: Mm. Yeah, there, there's one that's quite common around here that we used to know as Mycena viscidocruenta, Cruenta, but then they, they've they renamed it now Cruento Mycena viscidocruenta. Cruenta. So if you can get your, get your mouth around that name, you're doing well.
0: <laughs> then you can find it. Do you have a favorite mushroom book? You were mentioning Entangled Life. Uh, are there others?
1: We, there's a, the the book that got me interested to start with is uh, Fungi of Australia by Bruce Durer, who I'm not sure that Bruce is still alive, he'd be very old if he wasn't, but he, were, he took beautiful photographs of mushrooms and it's the first book I came across and I guess it's what one of my inspirations to getting into mushroom photography and really trying to take really nice pictures of mushrooms because Bruce, Bruce's book was filled with nice pictures of mushrooms. You know, a lot of guidebooks, a lot of field guides. They're just pictures. They're not, nothing really inspiring, but Bruce's pictures were you know, really well lit and really well set up. So that was probably my favourite book, but now I think Merlin's book, uh, *Enchanted Entangled, Entangled Life*, is is a good book.
2: I think what I love about Merlin's book is that it's probably one of the first that's gone into depth about the symbiotic relationships between fungi and so many other things, and and lichen, and how fungi helped, you know, create the. The world as we know it, and and also philosophically, how fungi exists without us, beyond us, you know, despite of us, <laughs> and and it will be here when we're long gone. And I kind of I like his bent, his take on um, on nature and the role that fungi plays in it. It's a really interesting philosophical artistic and scientifically accurate exploration of fungi mm-hmm.
0: that is wonderful that really wants me to to read it and uh, as i said it's it's on my list but i haven't done it yet so it's uh, i'm looking forward to see this perspective and i have always found like reading popular science books always provides a new perspective, because everybody noticed something different. And that I can also see from from films, from documentaries, that um, everybody has a different view on the world and will see things that another person won't see. So that's uh, a great resource, actually, to look and read and watch uh, these resources and see what else you can discover in the world that you haven't noticed yet or you haven't put a focus on. So, yes. Is there anything else that you would like to share?
1: I don't think so. Okay. It's just that uh, the world, well, the world in general is, you know, never-ending interest. We, we go out and, as Catherine said, we, we always find something new even if it's just a new way of something, of looking at something. But all all the interactions, I I remember when we, we discovered fungi gnats living underneath fungus, and it was with my senior interrupter in Tasmania, and we saw these webs being spun underneath on a, on a time-lapse of Mycena interrupter. And we thought, that looks like a, um, a glowworm. So I researched it, and a glowworm, in fact, is a fungi gnat that has just changed its lifestyle, so it feeds primarily on insects, whereas a fungi gnat feeds primarily on fungus, and the ones that spin their webs under the, the caps feed on the spores. And they occasionally eat insects that get caught in their webs, gives them a bit of you know, extra minerals or something. But unfortunately, the the fungi gnat that we found wasn't luminous because that really would have made a spectacular time lapse to have a luminous... <laughs> You know, a glowworm underneath the fungus.
2: But then, you know, we ended up in China not long after um, recording that fungi, net web being woven underneath the Mycenae interrupter, and we went up to one of their research labs where they had a whole bunch of fungi growing in a um, in a, a, a soil bed, and they would kept them a little bit more mature because they thought that we might be interested in filming or photographing them And underneath all of these mushrooms, completely different species, were these webs that had been woven. And so we said to them, oh, my God, we think that they're fungi-nat webs. And they went, no. And we went, well, I don't know about that. And so they got their fellow who was an expert in fungus and insects to come up. And sure enough, they had fungi nets underneath all of these mushrooms. And so, again, this whole new world opened up to us. So I guess the thing that we love to share is that, you know, be curious. I mean, the world is such a fascinating place. And we just feel so grateful that fungi, that this organism has changed, enriched, our lives, you know, we get to be creative, we get to be inspired, and we get to be out in the forest. I mean, how can it get any better than that?
0: That was a lovely, uh, finishing word for this interview. Where can people find you and your films and your pictures? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, we tend to go under the brand of
2: Planet Fungi and um, and if you Google Planet Fungi, you'll find us on Instagram under Planet Fungi, you'll find us on YouTube where there's lots of free videos actually about um, some of the safaris we've done in China and Patagonia and uh, where else have we got? And lots of fungi finds in the forest, but If you want to see our fungi safari in the Himalayas, go to www.planetfungi.movie and you can stream it directly from our website or from Google Play, iTunes and Amazon.
1: And just for the photographs, just search for Steve Axford and that will come up with a a Smug Mug site. It's um, steveaxford.smugmug.com. And that has all my photographs on it. There's probably about 10,000. So it would take you a fair time to go through them all. I tried to um, catalogue them by species and to a certain extent I've succeeded, but there's still a lot of photographs that I've taken that aren't in the species list at all. Mm. So if you wanted to see the lot, you have to go to locations and look at, Chile and Australia and so on, Mm. that I I tend to take photographs and then I forget to catalogue them. I I honestly don't know what they are. So how do you put them by species if you don't know what the species is?
2: But the catalogue is an amazing resource and, you know, as time goes by, Steve will keep adding to that. And, um, yeah, I I don't think I know of anywhere else on the net where you'd find that.
1: Mm. No, I don't. I, I think it's... It's fairly unique.
0: Thank you so much, Catherine and Stephen, for being here today with me and uh, opening the doors and our eyes to the world of fungi in many different places in the world.
1: It's a pleasure.
0: Yeah, thank you very much for inviting us. I hope you have enjoyed this episode and if you did so please share it and if you're listening from a platform where you can leave a review or ranking I would be delighted to get a five-star review from you. This will help the podcast to be found and make even more people aware of how wonderful nature around us is. If you would like to be updated on future episodes, subscribe to us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify or Google Podcast or whatever your favorite podcast provider is. Or register for our newsletter at www.flora-l.com. Thank you and goodbye.